So, good afternoon, everybody. This is Mark Seiden from the Mark Seiden Real Estate Team in Westchester County, New York. And here we are for another podcast, and we're going to do things a little differently today. Um, I actually have a guest today, and we're going to start talking about mortgages, because in this crazy, crazy market, uh, for a buyer to be approved to be able to put in an offer, when the houses have multiple, multiple offers um, on that property, it's so important to be uh, pre-approved or pre-qualified from an awesome lender, not a lender, from an awesome lender. And I just happened to have an awesome lender on with me, Craig. So Craig, why don't you introduce yourself and we'll talk about mortgages a little bit. Sure. Um, so my name is Craig Gill with Quintessential Mortgage Group. We are located in White Plains, New York. Uh, we are the number one mortgage brokerage in New York. Um, I've been doing this for about roughly seven years, but I consider myself now a veteran in this business. Um, I would say so. <laughs> but um, that's pretty much you know, who I am and where I am and, and what I do. Great. So let me give uh, our audience just a little bit of background. So when people look to get pre-approved, um, there's actually two types of uh, places, if I may say, that people can get approved from. So they can go to what's called the retail bank, which is what people you know, know about, you know, Citibank, Wells Fargo, Chase, and there's a whole bunch of others. Um, and then there's a mortgage broker. Um, so tell us why should someone use a mortgage broker over retail bank? And more importantly, or not importantly, but part of it is, does it cost any more to use a mortgage broker over someone just kind of walking into a bank? Oh, this is, it's, it's really an easy question. So the difference between a retail bank and a mortgage broker is basically a mortgage broker has the ability to shop at 35 or more banks. Now, every, you got to remember, every buyer is different that comes in. So you have possibly someone that's putting down 5%, 20%, need a bank statement loan. There's niche products. So when you go to a retail bank, you got to remember if it's a, you know, I don't want to state names of specific banks, but if you go to a retail bank, you will be stuck with what they offer, only what they offer, their interest rates, their underwriting, their guidelines. So I think going to a mortgage broker, it's almost like, the Swiss army knife of mortgages. I basically can, you know, go to 35 different banks and see who's going to give you the best interest rate and the best products for your scenario. So again, I think in that category, it's just more options for you and people like options. Um, as far as costs, you have banks that charge application fees, processing fees, underwriting fees. Uh, we, you know, at the, at the wholesale division for the, the, for the mortgage brokers, they have what's called an underwriting fee. And an underwriting fee generally is basically every bank has an underwriting, fee, but they have different, like every bank has difference in, in that fee. It could be 895, it could be 1095, it could be 1500. Now, again, not all people always want to save in that area, but it might not be the best place to go because someone might be wanting to close, close quick and fast. And that place might have turn times of two months out. So it's not always, about where you're going to save on the underwriting fee. It's always about what you're looking for. And I think being as a mortgage broker, we will find what you're looking for. So if I may, Craig, um, so let's say with a mortgage broker, one or two fees could be a few hundred dollars higher than a, than a retail bank. But on the other hand, a retail bank may have 
other closing costs that a mortgage broker may not have. So those fees would be there, but also the rate and turnaround and service on a mortgage broker could blow away a retail bank. So even though a mortgage broker may charge a few hundred dollars more in fees, by the time you finish with what the rate is, rate lock, how fast it takes to close, the end consumer could actually save more money, considerable more money in the short and long run, even though initially it may just be a couple of hundred bucks more just for the application. Did I get that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's not, again, I always tell people sometimes there might, again, working with like 35 different banks, there might be some banks that offer better interest rates, but I'll tell them just because I've worked with them, who's going to, who's going to turn, who's going to turn around your loan the quickest, who has the best service, who uh, doesn't require as much documents because people hate to give documents. So I always say you want to just weigh out your options and each person is always looking for something different. And again, I, in my, I came from the banking side. And in my opinion, I, I think you save a little bit more when you work with the mortgage broker. You know, it's really interesting. And then we'll get to the next question is that, you know, being a, a real estate agent who has gotten a lot of consumers that have brought in pre-approvals from, um, you know, retail banks. And they said, oh, they've gotten the best rate and the best this and best that. The challenge is anywhere from two weeks to, you know, 40 days into the loan, we find out that the, that retail bank, because of their very specific product or products, won't do the loan, can't do the loan. And then suddenly my buyers 30 or 40 days in get a denial letter. Okay. So something that on the surface may seem like a better rate, these buyers are getting denied. And then when I send them to people like you, because I have uh, four or five preferred lenders and Craig is definitely one of our preferred lenders. I now give it to one of our preferred lenders, including Craig, and then voila, like magic, except it's not magic, uh, my buyers get approved. Yeah. Um, so sometimes if you're just shopping rate, just because the rate may be quoted as the lowest, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to close. And that's a big reason why I always prefer using a mortgage broker over a retail bank. I, I personally, like I tell people, don't get caught into that rabbit hole. Don't go down that rabbit hole chasing the best rate. It's not always about the rate. Right. People, you know, they, they obviously want to save. Everyone wants to save, but it's not always about the rate. There's just different things that come with, with, with applying for a mortgage. And again, with these retail banks, not all of them, but most of them, they're very cookie cutter. Yes, you're going to get this rate. Yes, we're going to process your loan. And then the minute it gets done, the writing, sorry, your loan was denied. That's why as a mortgage broker, me, we're looking at the loan altogether first to make sure we can get this loan done before it actually gets to underwriting. So that, you know, why do we want to waste any time? Like, why am I going to send in a loan that I know potentially could not work? And then I just wasted the real estate agent's time, the buyer's time, the attorney's time. I just, that's why we screen everything before it gets actually that far into the process. Okay. And you said something really interesting. So if I can just summarize it differently is that, when these, when a lot of retail banks and even other mortgage brokers quote rates, the answer to a consumer is yes, you can get that rate if your profile is able to check off every single box that's on that bank's, if I may say, questionnaire, which could be 52 you know, items on their questionnaire. So if you have a yes to every one of those 52 items, yes, you can get that rate. But if there's one item out of 52 that you can't say yes to, you can't get that rate. And not only can you not get that rate, you may not even get your loan. Yeah. And that's the danger of rate shopping. All right, let's get to the next question. 
So um, what is, uh, we've heard this a lot and, and there may not even be a legal definition, um, but just give us kind of your definition. What's the difference between a uh, pre-approval and a pre-qualification? Um, the difference between a pre-approval and a pre-qual is a pre-qual, I'm going to take down someone's information. I'm going to have a conversation with them. Generally, it can take anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. I'll ask them uh, where they live, are they first-time home buyers, what's their employment. I take down their personal information, and I'll run credit on them to make sure that they're credit-worthy to actually apply for a loan. And I, in that conversation, I don't ask for any documentation. Now, when I'm running the numbers based off of what they verbally tell me, and what their credit report looks like. And I turn around to them after I did, you know, did what I needed to do. And I tell them, you are pre-qualified for a mortgage. Next step in the pre-approval, which is a more thorough process, is submitting your documents, such as W-2s, pay stubs, tax returns, uh, you know, if you're self-employed, personal return. That is a more thorough pre-approval is when you're actually verifying the, the income and everything that they told you over the phone. Because somebody tells you something over the phone, I get it all the time. People you know, will say they make X. They don't make X when I review their documents. So a thorough pre-approval is, is just getting documents. Prequal is just taking down information and uh, taking everything that they tell you verbally over the phone. And, you know, some people you can kind of screen, like someone comes to me with a, you know, their, their salary is X and they have no debt and their credit is excellent, obviously they're going to, you know, they're going to get pre-approved regardless. So it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a more thorough process as far as a pre-approval than it is to a pre-qual. I like yes, and, and I really want our consumers out there to understand that. So, you know, when you're really going through the process, you really want to get pre-approved and not pre-qualified. There are a lot of loan uh, specialists out there that you know want to push to pre-qualify because they can get that done much faster for someone and then they're hoping that they can just lock the consumer in later because they were able to give them something so fast like in 20 to 40 minutes but it's better to do the pre-approval process and that may take 12 hours 24 hours 48 hours to get the pre-approval depending on how fast someone gets you the basic documents but that is a much more powerful document and can assure you, not assure you, gives you a, a, a better rate of return to make sure that you're not gonna get denied a loan. And one other comment that I just wanna say, Craig, which I think it's so important that someone gives you W-2s and tax returns is because not all income is income. So we have had people that say they make $80,000 a year. Well, they do and they don't. What happens is they make $50,000 a year on their base salary, and then they get $30,000 a year of overtime. But banks don't consider that $30,000 a year of overtime as $30,000 a year in income for every year because a company can decide how much overtime they're going to give or not give someone the next month, the next week, the next year. So banks will not look at regular pay and overtime the same as, but I made 80 grand. So that's why it's so important for a lender to really analyze someone's income before just saying, hey, I make 80 grand a year and 30, that's overtime. The yeah. other interesting thing is, um, and then Craig, you'll comment on that, is investment income. So a lot of people, when they make investment income, they say, yeah, I made $200,000 last year and all my investments. So what do banks think about investment income? 
what do banks think about it? We can use investment income if it's actually consistent um, and it's actually reporting on their tax return. Right. So the other thing too, just to touch up on what you were saying before, um, most people, when they're giving their, their income over the phone, they're, they, they think what, you know, what they made on their W-2. Well, I made 80000 right? But like you said, 30000 of that is overtime. And the only way that could be used, and it's divided, you know, separately, the only way that can be used is if it's consistent for two years or more. That's the only time you're going to be able to use that overtime. If you just started working and your first year, uh, you made $10,000 of overtime, but you're not at your second year, you can't use any of that overtime. So a lot of people just, they, they don't really know until I tell them on what they can and cannot use with their income. And again, all they think is, I made $80,000 last year. Right. Well, that was actually, uh, that was a great thing that you brought up. Right, which again is why it's so important to get to the pre-approval process instead of the pre-qualification process. Because a, a very good lender will really look at all those items uh, to make sure that when they quote, can I get you a mortgage or not? And what the interest rate would be, all of that is, is uh, interrelated. So Craig, let me ask you another question. What do you think are the biggest mistakes that consumers make when they apply for a mortgage? The biggest mistakes that I see um, when someone's applying for a mortgage, uh, I mean, I've had everything under the sun. Um, you, know, when it, you know, I've had somebody buy a car uh, in the middle of the process of getting pre-approved. Obviously, that will, that will weigh heavily in on your debt-to-income ratio, which is what we use to qualify a borrower. Uh, I've had uh, people apply for all types of you know, loans with uh, store cards. So I always suggest to people when, they're, when I'm doing the pre-approval with them, do not apply for any more, you know, any more debt. Don't go shot. I don't care if the, the, the store card is offering you 50% off for the purchase. Stay away from it. Don't apply for anything. Just stay off the radar until you actually purchase a home. So the, the common mistakes I see is people just going out and applying, applying for things. Um, you're an hourly employee. You want to stay consistent with your hourly income. If you're, uh, if you're going from 40 hours a week and then your pay stubs reflect 32 hours and 28 hours, <clears throat> that's going to obviously not look good to the underwriter. So what we like to always suggest is if you're an hourly employee, keep your pay stubs consistent. So you want to have those 40 hour pay stubs that we can actually go off of what you make hourly. Uh, otherwise, then we have to, if it's, if it's all over the place, then we have to average out your W-2s and that would not be beneficial to borrowing. So I would just say stay off the radar. Yeah. So Craig, let me just kind of um, add something to that. So what happens is a lot of our buyers, what they do is they now start shopping for things for the house, window treatments, appliances, furniture, rugs, you know, you name it, paint, whatever. And of course, as you said, all these companies give these great deals. Well, if you do it on our credit card, or you can do it over time, or we have 0% financing for two years and you want to do that. The challenge is once you get a 0% financing for two years, you actually actually now have considered more debt. There's actually more debt. And banks look at what's called your debt to income ratio. How much debt do you have versus how much income you have? So all these deals that all these companies are giving to you that seem, you know, how could you refuse, you know, buying this and you have the cash and you're ready to do the cash, you know, whether write a check or put in your credit card and pay it off, whatever, but 0% financing, I'd be stupid not to do it. Well, the answer is if you're getting a mortgage, you're stupid to do it, <laughs> not stupid not to do it, right? Or pick out what you want, know what you're going to do, 
and then tell the person, you know, put a deposit down on it, but don't do anything with debt. Don't let them run your credit. Don't give them your social security number until the day of the closing. So if you close at 10 and you're finished at 12, you can be at the furniture store by 1218 and do everything you want to do. But before 1218 that day, no credit. How was that? Oh, I, you hit that right on the mark. You hit it right on the mark. Well, because my name's Mark, so I had to. <laughs> How else can I hit it? So I, I actually have had, I've actually had it to the point where someone's actually applied for washer and dryers for the house. And I'm, I am actually telling them before they close, you need to return that now. And they have to, because otherwise you're not going to get the mortgage. So again, just going back to what I said, you want to stay off the radar, you know, as little as possible. Um, they're in the process of getting pre-approved and buying on it. Right. And you really should talk to the lender. The consumer should really talk to the lender, like how close is my debt to income ratio? I mean, there's some people that, yeah, they could buy a car and it's still not going to affect anything depending on where they are. But, you know, if you're close or close enough, I should say, you know, any additional debt could get you from, well, I did a pre, I did pre-approve you on June 2nd, but on June 15th, you applied for a shell gas card. And even though you're only putting 20 bucks on every two weeks, it's more credit. And if your debt to income ratio was tight, that could push you over the, over the edge where your pre-approval on June 2nd now doesn't apply on June 12th because you got a credit card on June 12th. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. And plus it, it creates more, more paperwork. Everybody hates more paperwork. So when you're applying for things and it pops up, they will know that, it, that you applied for something and they will ask, did you take on any new debt? Did you take on any new credit? And they're going to find out. So it just creates more paperwork for me and for the consumer. So I always just, again, stay off the radar. <laughs> all right. One last question, but let's do this one quickly if we can. We all know we're in this incredibly hot market. I call it the wild west of, uh, you know, buyers and, and multiple bid situations and so on and so forth. So, um, how, wh why getting pre-approved? Why is that so important in today's home buying process? Because you want to know what your buying power is. You don't, no one knows what their buying power is until they speak to their bank or their loan officer just because nobody knows. Like, it really is based off of how much money you're looking to put down, how much money you're, you're, um, you have tied up in your assets, whether you're getting a gift from somebody to apply towards buying a home, it all really, it's, it's, a, it's a loaded topic that you need to have with your loan officer just, just so you can know what your buying power is. In this market, uh, a pre-approval, um, they're going to want to see before you even go into, you know, uh, go looking at the house. That's actually, right? Am I right about that? Yeah, I was going to add that. The two factors is, is that now um, you can't even get into most homes now unless you send the listing agent a pre-approval and a pre-qual will get rejected. So a pre-qualification when you're rejected, they're going to ask for a pre-approval, number one. And number yeah. two, if you even think about attempting to put in an offer without having a pre-approval, you might as well just go to the movies because it's nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And, and in this market, I always, <clears throat> just because I, there's a lot, I have a lot of you know, clients that are you know, 95 LTV, which is 5% buyers, 3% um, buyers. There are great programs, but in this market, it's very tough with those type of offers just because of what's going on in this seller's market. It's, it's just, uh, you know, bidding wars are getting up there, you know, in price. 
They're waiving appraisal contingencies, they're waiving inspections. And people that have 3%, 5% pre approvals, it's very tough to compete in this market. So I always suggest listen, you know, can you scrounge up anything you know, more? Can you get a gift? Can you pull out of your IRA? Most people don't even know that they can pull out of their 401k in their IRA, which is, which is great. So it's, uh, in this market, it's, it's like the wild, wild west, like you said. So you got to go in heavy and go in strong and, and hope for the best. Right. So Craig, as we wrap up here, why don't you give everyone your contact information, let them know how they can contact you in order to use one of the best sure. mortgage people uh, in Westchester County. Again, the number one mortgage brokerage. In <laughs> um, but yes, my name is, again, Craig Gio with Quintessential Mortgage Group. Uh, you can call me at 914-653-6182. And my email address is Craig, like my first name, Craig, at QMGLLC.com. And again, we are located in White Plains, New York. And you can Craig find us is- online and all over social media too. Right. And Craig is spelled C-R-A-I-G because I do know there's Craig and Greg and who knows what they're hearing on a staticky uh, radio on the way to wherever. So uh, Craig is C-R-A-I-G. So again, Craig, I want to thank you so much. Um, you gave a lot of great insight. You were awesome as usual as I knew you would be. Well, thank you for and, having me. And um, I really hope we get to do this again uh, real soon. So thanks again. Absolutely. Again, thank you for having me, Mark. And for all of our listeners, thank you again for listening to a really uh, wonderful podcast uh, from the Mark Sutton Real Estate Team. And give us a call if we can help you buy or sell. We are ready to rock and roll. Thank you, everybody. 